Hello and welcome to JudgeCast. This is episode 300 and I am not one of your hosts. However, I was one of your hosts from episodes 34 to 223 and I was joined almost always by my lovely co-host and very good friend Brian Prilliman, whose thunder I'm stealing right now with this intro. I'm just here briefly to congratulate the show on reaching 300 episodes, which is something I never would have guessed it would achieve 11 years ago. Every host and each guest deserves a part of that congratulations, but I want to specifically call out Brian's contribution. CJ and I kept it fair and fun, but Brian kept it going for 300 episodes. Thanks, and I look forward to seeing how much further the show can go. Hello and welcome to JudgeCast. This is episode 300. I'm one of your hosts, Brian Prillum, and I am joined this evening, afternoon, morning, drive to work by the one and only Charles Feather. Hello, hello. Howdy. So, this is uh, episode 300. This is one of those uh, episodes that ends in multiple zeros, so it's more special than other episodes, right? It It is. It's very special, and I am so excited to be here for this show. Uh, I, I've been listening to the show for years and years and years and years and to, and to be on one of the celebratory episodes is just, uh, it's icing on the cake. I love it. I'm so happy to be here. So going back and listening to things, I was reminded in one of the very early episodes, we're talking like single digits when I was just a little BBL one, I did not know the answer to a question in the IPG, uh, cause IPG was required at the time and I was embarrassed to ask the question for anyone. So I like faked an email address and wrote a question into to, to this podcast to so that uh, the host at the time could answer and then no one would know that I was the one that asked the question. That's great. Do yeah, you even remember yeah. what the question was? It was. It was dealing with uh, upgrades in the IPG, whether or not it was, it was for a specific category like, you know... Uh, the third upgrade for GRV upgrades to a the warning upgrades to a game loss, or if that applied to all gameplay errors across all the categories. Sure, and I didn't yeah. know. So anyway, um, before we so before we get into the meat of the episode, just brief history of the show, a little bit of uh, of horn tooting, um, Charles. So who when did when did we start? When did you start? Yeah, um, the at, judge at episode at episode one. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you started episode one and you started with uh, Sean Katniss and Riki Hayashi. Yeah. And in the very first episode, uh, Sean Katniss was a level one judge who oh. between episode one and episode two made level two. That's, I mean, that's history right there. That's amazing. Yep. yep. And since they no longer had a level one on the show, they got Jose Boveda, who joined as in episode two as the new L1. Um. <laughs> So how long did how long did Boveda stay? Uh through I want to say through the 30 the 33 episodes. So Okay. One one thing about podcasts for anyone that's that's interested in getting into podcasts, the first 10 episodes are amongst the hardest. Like that's when you start realizing that it went from being kind of like a fun idea to actual work. We we have a friend. We have we have a mutual friend, Chewy who believes yes. that if you have not made it past episode 10, you don't have an actual podcast yet. Yes. Yeah, you have you have to make that marker. Right. And and JudgeCast uh, went for about a year, year and a half, got all the way up to episode uh, 33, mm-hmm. before it kind of also fell into that same same trap. 
but six months later, uh, there was a like a like a phoenix rising from the ashes. Uh, we rose back with with CJ Schrader and Jess Dunks, a name that you might recognize now as the rules manager for Wizards Wizards of the Coast. Uh, and then I joined a few episodes later. Um, so since then, we've had a few other hosts. Mm-hmm. Uh, we've had hosts like Brogan King, uh, Jacob Malicic, um, Samantha Har, uh, myself. I think there's some. Is there somebody else in there? I'm trying to think. No, no, no. That's no. the whole list. That's yep. the whole list. Uh, so from a from a pedigree standpoint, we've had two L4s, uh, Ricky and Sean. We've had two regional coordinators, myself and Ricky. Uh, the JCC lead, Sean. Uh, two program coordinators, again, Sean and Ricky. The current rules manager, Mr. Dunks, and the current judge academy manager, which is Sama. Uh, and we've also had two suspended judges, which I think is more than any other podcast has had. Two, two um, suspended judges? It wasn't all yeah. three of you got suspended at the same time? No, no, two no. No, Dunst didn't want any part of our nonsense, so he was not in <laughs> the chat. Um, but, okay, but that's that's talking about us. Now, if you go back and listen to the very first episode, which is kind of, for, for me, it's it's a bit nostalgic. Within the first few minutes of the episode, they say the goal of doing this activity, or at least the public goal, the, pri- the private goal was they wanted to get Sean to level two. But the <laughs> public goal, <laughs> the public stated goal was want to talk about judging. In 2010, landscape was just different. The iPad hadn't come out yet. Okay, so podcasts, specifically uh, magic podcasts, there weren't a lot of them. There wasn't a lot of material being produced by judges for judges. And they stated at the goal they wanna they wanna fill a fill a hole. And now it's different. We've got we've got um, you know a gajillion social media networks. We've got uh, there's podcasts. And the internet is in people's pockets. There's YouTube. There's mm-hmm. all sorts of uh, various mechanisms, Spotify and such. And rather than spend this time talking about the history of uh, JudgeCast and what all we've accomplished. We thought that we would invite on some other judge content creators and instead highlight what they have done. So that's uh, that we... sounds like a really good idea. I'm, I'm glad you came up with that. Was... <laughs> Brian came up with the idea for the show and I was like, hey, yeah, let's definitely was do that? that. Let's let's invite yeah. other people on. Yeah. So uh, we have we have uh, say hello special guests. Hello, hello. Uh, that was Charlotte Sable, correct? Yes, Charlotte uh, uh, from uh, the Aska Aska the Magic Judge Tumblr account. Mm-hmm. Uh, David. Uh, hello, hi everyone. Uh, David Eldon is from the Judging for the Win YouTube channel, and we have Rihanna. Hello, Rihanna. You're from the Ask a Judge Facebook group? Sure am. Wonderful. So, uh, why don't we just take a little bit, uh, tell us a little bit about who you are and, you know, where you're from, what your judge level is, what your background is in in judging, like what your experience is. Uh, Charlotte, do you want to start us off? Sure. Yeah, I'm Charlotte. I have been a judge since 2009. Jeez, I'm old. Um... I'm level three. I got level three in 2015 at uh, GP Utrecht, which was one of the Modern Masters 2 GPs, which was a crazy, crazy weekend. Um, 
I have been doing the Magic Judge Tumblr since December 2012, uh, with a couple of breaks in there, but mostly unbroken. Um, outside of judging, I'm also a member of the Commander Advisory Group. Uh, I've also written for various websites at various points. Uh, most recently, I write occasionally for Commander's Herald. I've also been a member of Cranial Insertion and written for a few other defunct websites in the past. <laughs> I, I forgot awesome. you were a member of the CAG. That's that's very yeah. cool. Okay. Yeah, and where are you where are you based out of? Oh yeah, sorry. I'm originally from the Toronto area in Canada, but I'm currently living in Finland. And yeah. Mostly just live on the internet these days. <laughs> All right. David? Uh yeah. Uh, my name is Dave Eldon. I'm from Fort Wayne, Indiana, a lovely city. And I am the man who does judging for the win. I've been a judge for probably about, uh, it's actually going to be my 10 year anniversary in uh, a few months here. So that's, uh, I suppose maybe exciting might not be the best word for it, but uh, it, it is kind of important in my opinion. Uh, like for me personally, uh, I started out writing um, a, a blog and I wanna say that I probably started that uh, around seven or eight years ago. And for several years, um, I, I produced uh, about one article each month. And uh, the, the most popular by far were the new set digests that I published every time a, a new standard set came out, uh, where I highlighted some of the rulings that I thought were interesting involving cards and mechanics and uh, rules and policy changes associated with those sets. Uh, eventually, I moved... Uh, onto YouTube and started making uh, uh, shorter form content where I talked about individual magic rules uh, interactions and I've been doing that for the last three plus years now. We're we're in the the third year. I had to, I had to think hard before I uh, embarrassed myself by not being able to count past two. So okay, awesome, uh, Rihanna. Yeah, hi, I'm Rihanna. So I'm born and raised in Sydney, Australia, which is Gadigal land. Uh, I've been playing Magic since Khans of Takia and been a judge since early 2018. Became an L2 in 2019. Um, I have my sights set on L3, but realistically I'm working to just be the best judge that I can and like service the community. Um, Outside of being on the Mobmin team for the Ask a Judge, Ask the Judge Facebook group, I do consider myself a competitive player and have participated in the VML, which is the Venus Mercury League, which is the marginalized gender league. Uh, made top 32 of the current season and have made top eight previously. Um, I'm also really passionate about a homegrown format, uh, which is Australian Seven Point Highlander. If you don't know it, please look it up. We do have a website. It is the best magic format bar none for me. So, yeah, that's that's me. Australian seven point Highlander was that it? Yes. Okay. Okay. (laughs) No, we we do need the explanation. We need at least the 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 cliff notes version. You know, a little little bit about it. What is it? Um, So it's a constructed format that allows players to play with a modified sixty card singleton deck with a fifteen card sideboard. Um, it uses like the vintage card pool, so like you can play all the way back to what's legal and vintage with the vintage ban list. Um, and then really powerful cards uh, are pointed and you can play up to seven points and then they changed it to make it you can play up to eight points as long as you don't play cards that are in the reserve list oh so it's seven it's seven or eight points but 
we call it. You, you can play zero points, but you can play up to okay. seven or up to eight okay. points. So something like the the moxes are all uh, at three points. Right. Okay. I was kind of hoping for the joke. I, I I don't know if how how well the joke translates, but in the U.S., the joke is like everything in Australia can kill you. So obviously, I was expecting like seven point seven point Australian Highlander to be some form of EDH that kills you if you lose. Or is poisonous or venomous or something along those lines. Uh, all right. Uh, let me let me ask uh, this. Each of you do something that's very different from the the other groups. Can you describe sort of like what what the content is that that you work on and what makes it special to you? Like what keeps you going? Um, and and who. That that sort of thing. Like, what? Why is it important to you? Maybe how you got started, uh, and and this particular thing. Like, I don't want to go through the just the list and kind of like cycle through everybody. So this can be kind of like a free form discussion. Um, yeah, nobody's well, going to want to pick the the right to go first for themselves. <laughs> well, for me, um, I sort of gravitated to starting to make content on Tumblr because, like, again, I've been doing my blog since 2012, and back at that time, that was just when Mark Rosewater was getting quite active on Tumblr with his account, and he was getting a lot of rules questions, so... And, you know, he used to be a judge, but he hasn't been one for many, 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 many years, and getting some of the answers wrong so i decided to sort of step in and provide a resource there uh as for what tumblr offers that's different um just the whole you know at the time it was like the only uh ask you know sort of question inbox sort of uh social media site and so i liked that versus writing articles because i could you know sort of directly address people and each individual question would sort of have its own sort of you know interactable post uh rather than you know writing an article where i maybe answer 10 questions and you know i can sort of see this way what what sort of things actually get interest from the readers and what stuff doesn't and you know try and use that as feedback so do you answer go ahead go on no go ahead brian i was gonna say so you get a list of questions, like people just submit questions to you and then you pick and do you try and answer every single one or do you pick and choose the interesting ones? Um, For the most part, I will try to answer everyone, even if it's only like one sentence privately. But like I don't post like look, Tumblr also has an answer privately option. So for questions that are sort of basic yes, no stuff that I don't feel provides anything interesting to the wider public, I'll just provide a quick like one sentence private answer. Um... But like, yeah, the stuff I post up publicly, I'll feel, I, I will answer if I feel it's more interesting or if it has more broad application or I'll, I'll be more likely to answer sort of more general questions about newer cards, for example. Charlotte, if you were to start this all over again, would you still use Tumblr, do you think? Or, or do you think you'd go uh, in a different direction? I don't know. I mean, it's hard to say these days, right? Like, if, if well, there's so many me, options, like, right? Well, yeah, if you'd asked me like two years ago, I probably would have said Twitter, but you know, who knows what's up going on from, with Twitter from day to day, right? Um, and I don't know, I mean, Tumblr's, Tumblr's fine. Tumblr has its own ecosystem. And I mean, at the time, Tumblr was sort of in its heyday, at least for the magic community. So, I mean, I was happy to be there. 
Right. The Tumblr magic community has sort of fallen off a bit there, but it's, you know, it's it's still going and I still get, you know, a good number of questions and a good amount of interaction there. So I'm happy to be there. Um, I don't know. I feel like, again, my voice might have gotten lost on something like Twitter at the time because I don't yeah. think the magic community was quite as uh, present there. Yeah. And and even though that it is there, I'm I'm not always sure that it's as indexable and and i think what you're doing Mm -hmm. is something that you know you want to be able to search easily or more easily so interesting (laughs) yeah i mean that yeah so that's another good thing about tumblr tumblr has a tagging system so i can tag my responses with card names with mechanics with you know i can tag for set spoilers that sort of thing so it's actually quite flexible in that way as well and this is the the structure is a little bit different uh whereas with with tumblr Okay, you have the ability to select which ones you are going to do answer long form or which ones you're going to answer uh, privately and you get to control the responses. Rihanna, mm-hmm. I believe with the Ask a, Ask a Judge Facebook, y'all don't have a lot of control over what questions come in, right? It, it actually looks a lot like the Wild West sometimes to me, perf- to be perfectly <laughs> honest. It sometimes is the Wild West. We, I mean, we don't have any control on what questions get asked. Um, obviously, if things are really way off topic, um, we can remove them. We have, like, uh, auto moderator set up to catch, try and have, like, spam filters catch. So anything that is linking to outside the group, it just automatically gets deleted and the person banned. And then we have to go back and manually confirm whether or not that should have happened. Because <laughs> sometimes it's people have linked to gatherer and it will it will catch that so oh, it'll, it, it could be tough it doesn't like gather links <laughs> it doesn't like any links uh okay. it's like if you if you're not moderating a facebook group you'd be surprised how much spam there is and how much um just like auto botted content comes through and if you don't have those kind of things set up to catch it automatically it just like suddenly everyone's feed is full of like um explicit content goodness yes i'm very familiar with that concept oh does youtube youtube comments also get hit a lot uh youtube does not but um one of my other projects that i was involved with was uh rules day tuesday which was also a a facebook group based uh content and yeah we had the same sort of problem (laughs) i actually i actually was talking with somebody about rules day tuesday uh two or three weeks ago that... Um, Marcus Sanchez was involved with that, I believe. Yes, indeed. Okay, Mark Mark Mason also worked on that too, right? Am I uh, remembering correctly? Yeah, I would. I would be uh, okay. surprised. Awesome. awesome. Shout out to both of them. Awesome uh, judges and moderators of yeah. the project. Absolutely. Like this is an episode. Feel free to name drop the hell out of this. It, you know, in this episode, you know, if you wanna, if you wanna just have a stray thought and just wanna shout a name out of a judge you you appreciate go ahead and do that um so let, so me, be, let me ask this be, before we go too far are you asking rihanna a question because i don't know if david has actually told us his thoughts oh, on youtube i i was going to ask a question about the facebook group okay yeah okay um so a whole lot of questions uh come in and where this differs from uh charlotte's and and david's uh, uh, respective avenues is you have a whole ton of people kind of fighting to respond, right? 
Yeah, it's um, it gets competitive. You want to be the first one in to answer the question, like the first judge to take the call, really. <laughs> okay, and how does that, when there are a gajillion responses that are all variations of the same thing, like is there any sort of mechanism to uh, highlight or illustrate the best one, or do you just kind of let likes take care of it, or how does that... You kind of let like like it's actually really good if someone asks a question and they get three different people immediately responding who are all saying the same thing they're all saying it slightly different um so you can also compare how you answered the question to how someone else answered it if yours is more clear or more concise um sometimes you can tell by the person who's asked the question thanks the person where it made sense for them like because you don't know what's going to be the best explanation for an individual person um we have pretty harsh rules on um, neckering posts. So if something's answered, it doesn't need anything else. It also doesn't need follow-up unless it's the person who's asked the question. If someone else is like, oh, that talks about a card that I want to question, like just make your own post, make your own question. Like it doesn't need to turn into like a, like a Reddit thread of just trying to find and dig through all the comments. Um, I've, I've also noticed in the past that the Facebook group more than others will get people where English is not necessarily their first language. Like I realize that all of us here talking in English and the the forums that we're talking about are all English forums, but you know, there are people that do not speak English primarily. And I think the Facebook group gets a lot of people where English is not a primary language. How does that affect things when the question might be a little hard to understand? Um... I think, like, for me personally, I've learnt to figure out what the question someone is asking, um, even if it's not very clear, like, it's not in a very good, it's very broken English, right? Um, You'll often, you can often tell if the English isn't, uh, like, the first language for the person because the card name is slightly off. Like, it's just translated poorly and, like, it's amazing that Google, you can Google the card name that's slightly off and Google will give you cards that it is or cards that it's close to. You can usually like reverse engineer what they're actually asking. And if you can't do that, then you can ask for more clarity um, about what the actual question is. Um, I see a lot of the questions that come up um, and, and I, I want to ask, what percentage of them do you think are are basically commander style questions or casual kitchen table type questions? And, and what percentage are dealing with competitive situations? It's so few that are dealing with competitive situations. It's the majority would be it's like commander, kitchen table, F&M at the store. Like that's the kind of interactions that are coming up, especially like with the cards that are coming up, like those could only really be legal in formats like commander. And those interactions would only be happening in things like commander. Um, Rarely competitive comes up. And if competitive does come up, it's usually a policy question. It's not a rules question or interaction. It's, hey, I was at this event and this judge ruled this, like I want to understand, um, which can be difficult because you, you're you only getting one hand account and you're not getting the account of the judge that took the call either. So, And you also then get people who are answering that question with things that aren't facts, like it, they give their opinion with no knowledge of the MTR or the IPG or how we would apply those in those situations. So you've got to kind of run cleanup crew on the comments. <laughs> Interesting. Right. 
And while questions come in kind of fast and furious with multiple questions coming into the, the Facebook group and there's multiple people to answer to kind of help why to, to spread the load, Dave, you have on your YouTube channel Dave's Daily Ruling, right? Yeah. Uh, talk to so, and that's every I mean obviously it's a daily ruling so that's every day what is, uh, okay talk, so tell us a little for, bit about that for for the first year of judging for the win it was actually every day and one of the most proud accomplishments I have uh, in my judge career is publishing DDR number 365 on December 31st um, however uh, after that point it uh, was a decision I made that uh, now that big events and, and especially traveling to go to multi-day events uh, such as uh, what I did last weekend and what I'm doing uh, in a couple weeks here uh, that is not compatible with publishing a video every day uh, because if I'm going to be going to another city for three days then that means that I would have to record like three to four videos all in one day uh, in order to, to be able to publish one during the days that I was taking off. And that, that led to a really, uh, in my opinion, unacceptable drop in the, the average quality of the, the content that I was putting out. So I made the decision. Uh, we are now publishing Monday, Wednesday, and Friday. And I, I am using that term, uh, we, in a little bit of loose sense of the word because, uh, as, as you pointed out, it is just me um, making making all the, the videos and doing all the editing and all the behind-the-scenes stuff, too. So. How, so for, for the folks at home that unrelated, how long does it take to get up a, let's say, a 10-minute YouTube video? Oh, gosh, 10 minutes? Jeez. Or, um, or I mean, I've, I've seen a few that long. I think yeah, the yeah, average but, might be more closer to five, though, right? Yeah, like, like my normal representative would be like a three to five. Um, I, I, will, I will tell you that I, uh, the, the daily ruling that is getting published tomorrow is less than two minutes long. And I spent over an hour and a half working on it today. Wow. Uh, so, yeah, it is, it is shocking uh, how long it, it actually takes. If you're, if you're interested in, like, um, you know, a, a bit more breakdown, uh, like more detailed breakdown, I, I did have a, a, a video where I talked about this. Um, like, I, I did a, like, behind the scenes of, of judging for the win uh, recently. So I do actually have uh, some, like, good data on this. But, yeah, like... Script writing is one of the, the most time-consuming parts of, of, of the video. It is actually unbelievable uh, how long uh, it, it, it takes to write a, a good quality script for, for something like that. And it's something that I think that, um, like, I, I've heard that if you are a good writer, one of the signs of that is not that you write quickly, but that you write slowly. And uh, if that's true, then I must be a fantastic writer because it, it does take me like quite a long time to, to write something that takes a relatively short time to, to produce. And I've got a lot of, you know, process improvements that I've done in my workflow uh, that have, you know, really helped me take a substantial amount of the time out of producing an episode of, of Judging for the Win. But it, it's still, there's a minimum amount of time that it takes to do like good, proper research onto a topic to put together a, a really good script that answers the question in the most intuitive and understandable way for the most number of people while also being something that is engaging and not sounds like it was written by a robot uh, and at the same time foresees several uh, uh, you know 
other questions that are related to the original one that people might have. So that that's the part that takes the longest amount of, of the, the time. The editing is, is re relatively straightforward. So even though editing does take like quite a while to do and there's like a hard floor on how much time it could possibly take to do it, um, it it's not like a, a terribly long amount of time, especially compared to basically any other person that's making YouTube videos out there. Uh, and and the, the voice acting is, is something that used to take quite a long time, but after I got the teleprompter, it got much, much easier. Oh, you actually have a teleprompter. Yeah, yeah, I recently got that, within the last, like, few months anyway. Uh, and yeah, it, it, was, it was quite a bit more difficult um, to, to go through with just an outline as, as opposed to, like, actually reading off the, the, the words on the, the screen. That makes it much, much easier, and especially with something like uh, daily rulings where it's very important to deliver exactly the right words. Like you want to make sure you phrase the explanations correctly um, so that you're not like misleading people about what, what is actually going on. Uh, the rules of magic are very exact and precise and it's very frequent that you have a question where the correct answer depends heavily on the exact wording of the card and having an explanation that is correct or not, or, uh, understandable or not is also in a lot of cases that that same level of precision where you need to exactly phrase specific parts uh, word for word and, and remember exactly what they say imagine if every judge at an event had a teleprompter that we could just pop up and, and show the ruling and never mind anyway you know it's actually funny that you say that because i think that um my ability to deliver rulings uh like in person is is just like so much worse than, than my ability to to deliver rulings in a, a format where i have a script of exactly what i'm going to say and i i almost feel kind of guilty about it at, at some points because like i'll walk away from a call and i'll be like wow you know i didn't phrase that like nearly as well as, as what i should have like or immediately after i stop talking to the players i'll be like you know i i probably shouldn't have talked you know, I, I probably shouldn't have explained it like that. I probably should have explained it like this instead. And, you know, so uh, the, the explanations that you get live are definitely not as good as the ones uh, where there's a script, which I guess obviously makes sense. So, so David, just by my math, I, it sounds like you do anywhere between three and six hours editing on YouTube stuff uh, a week, probably closer to six. Charlotte and Rihanna, are you are you all putting in the, the, the same amount of time, more? Um, what, what kind of time do you put in on your uh, efforts? Um, it depends for me, depends on the complexity of the question, but I obviously try to take the the right amount of time to craft a, uh, you know, interesting, not too dry, you know, not too technical answer to questions. Mm -hmm. Um, and I don't know, I mean, I've never sat down and timed it, but I mean, with, uh, you know, pulling card images and writing and proofreading and whatnot it can take anywhere from probably like 10 minutes for a relatively simple question to honestly i've there have been some mammoth posts where i've struggled for like multiple hours over multiple days just trying to get everything right like one one that comes to mind is uh i had a question a while ago about a, an edh game where everyone has a minds dilation and what the hell happens <laughs> Okay, when someone now, casts a spell. Now I have to go look because I don't know the cards. <laughs> what's what's mind dilation do? Uh it's a seven mana enchantment from uh looks like Eldritch Moon. 
Yeah. And when shadows block. Whenever an opponent casts his or her first spell each turn, that player exiles the time. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Everybody had one of those in play? That's not fun. Who did that? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Yeah, see, that's one of the things I kind of uh, appreciate about my uh, sphere. Uh, the two of you uh, talking about how you, like, answer all the questions. Uh, I, I answer three questions a week, and I get a lot more submissions than three questions a week. So uh, yeah. I, I get to be a lot more picky and uh, in terms of which ones that I actually put out. And I, and I only do the questions that I think are, like, really interesting and engaging and, like, educationally valuable and as soon as I see, like, there's certain cards where, like, I'll be reading a, a proposed question, and I, like, see one specific card name, and I'm like, okay, next question. I, I don't even, I don't even have to, to look up what Mind Dilation does to know I'm very interested in that one. Hmm. Rihanna, with respect to moderating and, and making sure that uh, the rules for the Facebook group are followed and that the questions are being answered appropriately, about what sort of time commitment? Uh, I try and ignore what my screen time is because I'm always horrified by the answer. Um, (laughs) (laughs) Just like I don't want to know. Like I'm on call basically all the time. Um, I have a very poor sleep schedule, so I really am just widely available. Um, I have notifications. I'm not the only one that has this. I have notifications turned on so that if the second someone posts a question, I can be there immediately to answer. Um, and like it's a it's a running joke in my regions community that I'm too fast like too fast for most judges are like you're too fast for me like you're getting there too quickly like before I've even thought about what the answer is you've already written it out and given a CR entry to support it like and that's just come from like years of doing it like you just get faster and faster and faster um yeah how but like we're getting we get like 400 on average 400 posts a week with questions um and I'm on average answering like i don't know three to five questions a day every day so so you said something there that makes me uh kind of curious how, how fast would you say the two of you are uh like if if you need to get a cr citation for for something uh does that does that take like a, a long time or does that take up a large part of the the time commitments that you just mentioned um not really like if i know that it's going to take me a while to find the exact cr entry i'll post my answer and then in reply immediately give the cr separately also because it makes the comment not so massive with a really long cr entry because some of them are huge um but like i always aim to have an answer done within the minute because any longer like you become the third person that's answered like you could you gotta be fast you gotta be in it to win it (laughs) it gets very competitive (laughs) um and i use the mtg guide app on ios which is a fantastic app made by um someone in the oceanic region and it's it's so yeah it's so easy to search for what you need and like when you're searching the cr so regularly you get really good at knowing where stuff is and and knowing that a cr entry exists that answers this like knowing that the cr entry that explains that like what is considered to create a token versus what isn't yeah from a judge cast i'll I'll get in on this a little bit from a judge cast perspective the editing after so after the recording it takes about two minutes for every one minute of audio yeah from an editing stand what's that i said i believe that yeah. Also, and I don't know if y'all have noticed, uh, I've been trying to, to stop this, but I have a slight stutter 
uh, and I try and edit out. I'm very peculiar about that and and work to edit out a good portion of the of those uh, stutters. So that takes a little bit of time. Uh, the pre-show prep that entirely depends on the topic. If it's something along the lines of slow play, then it the show notes might simply be here's the text from the IPG. We're going to talk about it. Let's go. And it's just copy paste. Whereas something that's more detailed might have a, a more of a script type feel. So pre-release, pre-release episodes are, are literally a pain in the neck. Or when we did combat rules a while back, it was a detailed breakdown. So show prep can run, depending on the topic, anywhere from five minutes to five to ten hours. Right, oh, when, yeah. you, for a when, particular... you combine, when you combine everybody's input, yeah. Yeah, those, those pre-release preps, uh, I definitely feel you on that. Because I remember, like, I timed one of my new set digests uh, that I wrote one time. Because uh, I was just, like, curious to see how long it was actually taking. It was, like, 20 or 30 hours in total to, to write one new set digest. And that that's, like, kind of uh, a similar, you know, type of content to what the, the pre-release prep would have been. Yeah. Um, so yeah, it, it just takes a massive amount of time. And if, if you are not involved in, in like making content yourself, uh, you know, trust me, however long you think it takes to, to do something, it takes at least twice that long. That's, that's, that's the, the honest truth. Right. It's, it's listening to like, uh, Mark Rosewater's podcast drive to work where he just says, I just turn on record and then I talk while I drive to work, and if I don't like it, I delete it and redo the whole thing on my drive home that day, just blows my mind. Yeah, I wish I could be interesting enough to be able to do stuff like that. Right? Yeah. So, all of all of y'all's content is is very different. It's structured very differently, but what what makes it special? Like, why does this particular... Uh, avenue or activity appeal to you like what is it about it that draws you in and keeps you keeps you going day after day don't everybody speak at once um i think for me it's been so good to have things like the ask the judge facebook group and also the ask a judge website like the uh irc um it makes it very accessible when especially during like the acute covid pandemic period where like overnight we lost events. Um, and so it was a way to stay engaged with magic, engaged with judging um, at a time period where we just didn't have anything. David or Charlotte? Or- uh, yeah, you know, for, for me, I would say um, the, the thing that really like motivates me uh, and the, the thing that draws me in is, is actually a little bit different than the thing that, that motivates me and keeps me going. The thing that draws me in and, and like continues to draw me in uh, is, is that this is a valuable resource for, for the community. That my, my belief that, that I'm doing something that is valuable is, is you know, really the biggest thing for me. Uh, obviously, it takes a lot of time to make any kind of content. So if I feel like people are getting value out of that, then it makes it worth it. And for me, daily rulings is exactly the resource that I wish existed uh, when when I was learning how to do this stuff. Uh, you know, when, when my personal uh, judge journey, like when I was when I was learning this stuff, the the resources that I found the the most helpful were Saturday School 
yes, I, I, I too am old. Uh, also, thank <laughs> you, Carter. Uh, and uh, cranial insertion. And the, the bite-sized chunk where you could, like, take one question and get one answer uh, and, and, like, be able to spam those uh, several times in a row uh, to be able to get, like, a, a good explanation or a good, you know, grasp on, uh, you know, different rules topics without putting in a lot of effort to find all the different stuff or without having to, like, study individual topics in detail, uh, which gets kind of, like, monotonous and repetitive. That was what really did it for me. And so uh, with YouTube, uh, you know, YouTube had not <clears throat> been invented at the time when I was trying to learn this stuff. Uh, but but if it were, then that, that would 100% be the, the sort of thing that I would want to do is just, like, get a playlist of different rulings and the explanations for why it is the answer that it is, and, and just be able to binge watch that playlist. And uh, I don't know if we're allowed to say other card games on this show, but uh, yeah. you know, I'm trying to learn uh, Flesh and Blood. I'm trying to get involved in uh, uh, becoming a Flesh and Blood judge. And I'm like, boy, I really wish there was someone out there doing Dave's Daily Rulings, but like as, as a Flesh and Blood channel. I would, I would 100% watch that, and I think that that would be like 10 times easier to learn the rules uh, you know, through a format like that than um you know whatever whatever stuff i'm actually having to do to, to learn this stuff so that's that's the the like you know the value for me and literally every time that i go uh to an event and some player comes up to me and says hey are you the guy who does judging for the win that is like the greatest feeling in the world uh for me and so uh any any time i get like any any comments on on any of the videos or any people coming up to me in real life and and saying that they appreciate my content that's that that's so so great of a feeling you have no idea if you if you don't uh you know know it firsthand uh just how much of a difference that makes and that that's the the thing that keeps me going and that's the thing that makes it so that when it's tuesday night and i have a splitting headache and i really am not feeling it i still get in front of the camera and, and make a video and and do it because that's that's the thing that makes it worth it for me so, so let's riff on that for a second um, to, to, and David kind of led into it a little bit. What was the moment after you started doing, you know, the Tumblr or after you started doing the Ask a Judge where you realized, hey, I'm doing something and people are really engaging with me and I'm contributing something that's important? Um, for me, the moment was when I started seeing uh, my answers sort of making their way outside of the Tumblr ecosystem. Um, like, it's still surprising to me, like, if you Google a lot of interactions, my answers still sort of float to the top a lot of the time, which is kind of crazy. Um, and it's just, it's like, it's like, okay, I'm making something that's out there, that's findable, that's there, that's gonna, you know, unless, you know, barring, you know, fundamental changes to the rules of the game, these answers are going to be okay for a long time. So I mean, for me, that was it was good to know that okay, there's there's these things out there that people are finding from outside of Tumblr, and that that was cool. Um, concrete examples are I believe I'm the first person to make at least a widespread Chains of Mephistopheles flowchart, um, <laughs> <laughs> which was back in 2014. We and all crazy was, enough to do that. We we all thank you for that. <laughs> yeah. Uh, it's still the like third on Google image search and fourth link. If you search chains of Mephistopheles flowchart, which is cool. Um, 
uh, yeah, other stuff that I've seen linked elsewhere on a larger scale, my explanations of banding, which is just a huge headache, um, but I was crazy enough to write up a big long explanation of banding and bands with other one time, and that's at least out there and I can point people at it and don't have to answer that question again. Rihanna, did you have a did you have a similar breakthrough moment or or is the immediacy of Facebook such that it fed it almost right from the beginning? Like that's I mean, this is the thing about social media, um and also just the way my brain works is like it's <laughs> using the the ask the judge facebook group it's kind of like like drip fed dopamine in terms of like answering a question getting like positive reception to what you're saying um it i very quickly um i used it like when i became a judge i almost immediately joined the group and like immediately started participating in terms of answering questions that um, I, I knew the answer to or could find the answer to. Um, and it got started getting exemplars back when that existed. Hey. Um, <laughs> but it's still, it's still, you get the occasional person who will post a thank you. And it's a thank you to everyone. Like a thank you to, you know, the, the modmin team that does a lot of behind the scenes work, but also like we have so many con- top contributors that uh, I've, are, are constant faces like you, you you really get to recognize a lot of the people that are there all the time um and the consistency of, and quality of, of the answers that they give um and it just it makes you realize how much people value having a space where they can come and ask a question and guarantee get an answer within 10 minutes um, I, th- I think it's a lot faster too it you know it's faster. Like I'm, ten minutes is a stretch. Like it's usually within one minute. But sometimes, you know, if it's a, if it's a complicated question, especially regarding like policy, it usually takes a little bit longer because I'm actually typing out like an essay as opposed to just a, a quick right. response. Be- before COVID, it seemed like it would be, you know, um, you might see an answer in the first ten fifteen minutes, and if you did so, you know, that was kind of pretty cool. Or or in the earlier days of of the Ask a Judge group when it wasn't. Um, when it didn't have as large a mod team and, and when questions didn't seem to come in as frequently. But now you're saying 400 questions a week. That's, uh, what, 75, 80 questions a day. Um, yep. <laughs> I see a very small percentage of them cross my feed. Um, I know it's a lot. It's just so much text is being written in that group. Yeah, I, I really love that Facebook gives you like a breakdown of how many posts you got in the week, how many comments how many reactions and it's just an it just gets absurd the numbers you're like oh my god like do we really have 2,000 comments over 400 posts that's (laughs) it's crazy so let me let me ask this uh and this is a, a question for everyone two relatively big events big things happened in the end of 2019 beginning of uh 2020 that's the old the the old judge program being sunset and the the rise of judge academy and then the pandemic and those two things combined slaughtered a lot of ju- uh, of judge driven activities uh outside of event well inside of events too with the pandemic but but specifically outside of events um in this particular case either your particular activity what well how did your particular activity respond to that double whammy. Uh, I know, I know from a, from a judge cast perspective, we 
limped along for a while and then ended up taking a seven month hiatus at the at the at the peak of of the of the despair i guess is probably the best way to say it and and part of that i think as a as a listener at the time was because it really felt like there was very little to talk about right yes i mean i guess uh for me that the answer to that question is like pretty straightforward like judge judging for the wind just would not exist without the pandemic um you know i i started it uh in in january 1st of the the you know the the year after the the events got shut down and i was like well i've got all this free time that i used to spend going to magic tournaments what's what's a way that i can use that free time for something else that you know ideally would like still be related to magic so that i could still you know keep my skills up as a judge and so the judging for the win project was really the the perfect answer to that and when, when I had to scale back from uh, answering a question every day to answering three a week, that was a direct response to the fact that I was going to work at more magic tournaments. <laughs> so in, in a, a very real way, the, the pandemic is like directly responsible for judging for the win and the, the daily rulings because that, that's the thing that I did. Uh, I started doing it because I had the time to because of the pandemic and I was looking for something that I could fill that time with. And for me, it's, it's just like a one man show judging for the win. Right. So I don't have to worry about coordinating with other people or trying to get my schedule to work with something else. Uh, it's, it's literally, you know, when, when it's time to make an episode, I I make the episode and and then I edit the episode. There's no like coordination of any kind involved. So it doesn't, uh, have any of the challenges that uh, some of the other projects out there might have where, you know, I'm still interested in doing it, but my editor isn't, or, you know, someone else that's important to the, the project might not be. As long as I'm interested in making more rulings videos, there will be more. Cool. Charlotte or? For me, yeah, for me, it didn't really have a huge impact. Um, like, I, I, I've become more active with the blog again, but for the past couple years, like few years before that, before this it had been tapering off a bit so i think there was like a little surge in activity on it but um i don't recall anything specific related to pandemic stuff with the blog um i think i maybe got a few more questions than normal but i don't recall anything specifically like special uh maybe a few less like event related questions obviously uh and i could sort of sense a bit more stress in some of the questions at least early on but for the most part, it's been rolling on about the same as always. I actually found it quite comforting that questions were still coming through. Like the, I guess the rate kind of slowed down a little bit because there weren't the massive upticks of questions around like when FNM on a Friday would be around the world and when events on the weekend would be. But it was good to see that people still were playing Magic, obviously still playing at home or playing online um, or maybe still at events in certain areas. Um, but even though everything, like for me, everything hits standstill points throughout the pandemic because I don't know how it was in other areas of the world, but in my city specifically, uh, 2020 and 2021, both of those years had like a three-month period, which was hard lockdown, which was do not leave the house except for like one hour of exercise 
um, or to leave for essential work or food medication doctor's appointments that's it so it gave like a place that it was good to see that magic was still being interacted with and like sets were still coming out like even though pre-releases weren't necessarily happening like zendikar rising came out so people had a ton of questions with modal double face cards um and the shift to substitute cards like there were still new things coming and people wanting to learn and understand new mechanics even if they weren't necessarily able to utilize those mechanics to their fullest extent just yet so let's let's ask and this is this is be a more generic question um but for y'all what is can you think of a um sources uh what you would consider like an important source of information for for judges learning either rules or policy or something like that like what is what is your go-to recommendation for someone uh, like, looking like to... not our own project, right? Uh, not, not your own I mean... project and not Judge Academy because well, we all know that those two... Well, I mean, or your perspective on your own project, right? I'm I'm actually fine if someone's like, no, 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 I'm the best. <laughs> Everybody should come to me. I just want that on record. Right. Uh, so who's the best? <laughs> well, I, I mean, uh, the, the, there's some obvious biases here. Yeah, I mean... Whenever someone asks a question uh, of me or I hear about someone asking a question and I know that's something I made a video on, I'll link them to that video because, you know, by definition, that is the best explanation that I was able to come up with for how to answer that question. So my that, that's, that's my goal every time I answer a question is to come up with the best explanation for whatever question that is and present it to people. And the fact that there's room for different judges, uh, you know, using different media and performing the same sort of service in different ways, uh, that, that just speaks to the fact that there's different people out there who are better at absorbing information through different channels or maybe uh, certain people's explanations click with you better than, than other people's. Um, but yeah, that's... That's what I think. I think that, you know, for me at least, it's like this. My my explanations are always the ones that I think are the best, um, because of, of course they are. You know, if if they weren't, <laughs> then why would, you know, I I would change something okay. about my explanation so that it would be the best. And there are videos out there that I've made where it's like after after I watch it a couple times, I'm like, you know, that still is kind of confusing, or you know, I I would. I, I'm not proud of this one, but a lot of the videos that I put out, I'm very proud of the the like explanation that I give, and I think that it's the you know does a really good job of translating the the stuff that's in my head out into a, a physical media that people can can watch and interact with. It's also kind of like pretty much everybody who's making content like this is an expert, right? So that probably means they don't have a whole lot of uh, you know a lot of use for watching other people making the same kind of content. Like, you know, I, I don't, I don't spend a lot of time watching other judges rules explanations because I don't need to, right? Like if, if I needed to know the answer to a rules question, I would just figure it out myself. Uh, and, and I feel like a lot of, a lot of, uh, you know, judges who are making content where they're answering rules questions are probably under, in that same kind of boat. Mm-hmm. Uh, for me, I mean, I'm old school, so my, 
my go-to answer is the best way to learn these things is by, you know, talking and experiencing things with another judge or as a player or whatever. But outside of that, I mean, honestly, whatever works for you, if you're a more visual learner, then, you know, things like videos are great or, you know, just playing on Arena or Magic Online or whatever, uh, minus all the bugs and people... God, I mean, I'm sure I'm not the only one that gets well on this thing happened on arena. Is that right? Or is that a bug? Oh yeah. <laughs> like, um, but like, uh, you know, I mean, honestly, like whatever works for you. And as long as you're curious and seeking out answers, uh, like you're gonna, you're gonna, you're gonna get some success as long as you are finding the places to ask. And in general, I generally think asking someone is always going to be better than just looking for like a pre-written thing because you know your question might have differences to whatever like i could i could find something written up on an interaction that's 90 percent similar but that 10 percent you know makes all the difference right like um as for specific resources i mean i don't know i'm i'm weird i learned the rules by literally reading the comp rules so i'm not one to ask about that sort of stuff uh for me like if it's if it's policy, I always always recommend people to go read the annotated IPG so that they can understand the actual philosophy behind the policy. Hey now, when it comes, hey. <laughs> it's so useful, such a good resource. <laughs> um, but I I really do recommend that people sit on places like the Ask the Judge Facebook group or the Ask a Judge chat, like the IRC. Um, because it's a great way to learn and test yourself. It's like a free quiz. Like you can just go through and be like, just read the question. You don't have to read the answers and see what answer you would give. And then, you know, if you don't know the answer, you're going to see it and you'll learn it. And if you do know the answer, you can still learn more because it's one thing to know the answer to the question, but it's another to be able to explain it to another person and explain it in a way that's like clear and concise and also uh not just knowing the answer like uh it's yes but you don't know why it's yes like actually understanding why it works that way because otherwise you just start parroting answers like you just know that for this interaction the answer is yes and for this interaction the answer is no without actually understanding why it is the way that it is i'm going to answer the question too because i think it's important to offer a, a, a one more plug um, cranial insertion does this really cool thing where if you create an account with them, you can hide the answers. So you, you pull up the, the, the week's worth of questions and you can work through them one at a time. Um, and I think that's so super helpful to judges who or, or even rules advisors who are aspiring to be judges. Um, if you want to work on your rules knowledge and your rules explanations and, and, and you, you can do so. And it's, right there for you i think it's i think it's a great resource that that people who want to work on the rule stuff need to need to rules rulesguru.net also does, does something yeah yeah they, they default to not showing you you have to positively acknowledge but that's that's also a good a good resource um but yeah the the irc the um i think the for policy discussions, the the Judge Academy Discord for policy discussion is pretty decent, depending on the time of day. I'll, I'll say <laughs> there's there's certain people that need to be asleep in order for that conversation to be useful. 
Um, can, can I ask you another question? Uh, and it's not in our list, and it's just something that's occurred to me as we're talking about, you know, just just rules websites and, and resources and so forth. And it's something that I, I wonder about occasionally. We all use, or, or at least locally, we use the term rules robot to talk about a judge who just knows everything about the CR. Um, do any of you consider yourselves a rules robot? And do you consider the term uh, potentially either derogatory or not kind? Because I wonder about that sometimes. Well, I have not heard that term. Yeah, me so, Really? Must be a regional thing. Um, yeah. But, I mean, personally, I've found just because I'm communicating generally with players, with, you know, non-rules-invested people who just, you know, want an answer and maybe a little bit of understanding, I find that quoting, like, CR citations... Um, doesn't really help i mean quoting the rules if, if quoting the rule is the cleanest way to say something then i'll do that but for the most part i don't particularly like pay much mind to specifically quoting the cr or reference or giving references or whatever i i focus more on putting my answers in sort of you know plain uh you know not not super simple but you know reasonably understandable language that you know is going to feel make people feel like they're not being talked down to but accessible you know, also isn't isn't high yeah accessible isn't highly technical and i right. feel like like memorizing cr numbers is probably not a good use of anyone's time but on the other hand if that's how you get the rules into your head then whatever works for you right but yeah Personally, for me, knowing all the numbers and all the specific, you know, citations isn't what's good for me. Yeah, I'll, I'll echo that. Like, um, I think that if you're trying to learn what number each rule is, that's just a waste of time. You know, it's, it's like a fun party trick or something, I guess, but it's not like really helping anything. Uh, if you can look at the comprehensive rules document and navigate to where the the specific rule that you're looking for is and find that in a like pretty quick amount of time that's something that actually is valuable skill um yeah. and and sometimes even useful in live calls something i think yeah. is maybe a little bit of a difference for me with uh with you know maybe maybe a lot of the other rules sources is i actually think that it's a good idea to to like have people actually looking at the text of the comprehensive rules um and th this is Again, coming down to me trying to make the resource that I would have wanted when I was learning this stuff. And one of the big frustrations I had was that it was so damn hard to get, like, a proper explanation uh, for something that, that wasn't, like, you know, dumbed down or pitched at, like, a lower level to the, the lowest common denominator. Uh, and even rules resources that, that I really respected, like Cranial Insertion, uh, did this, like, fairly often. They, they would, like, say what the answer was but in a colloquial sense and and that's at a certain point in your rules development like the knowledge development there there needs to come a point where you you put a stop to that and you actually look at what the actual rule is saying because that's the only way that you can generalize the the ruling that you get to that one specific question to more general class mm -hmm. questions and that's yeah. something that i take a lot of um you know I take great pains to try to do exactly that in, in the content that I put out uh, in the form of both 
including actual citations from the comprehensive rules whenever I put uh, you know, uh, something that comes straight out of it or might not be uh, you know, something that basically everybody knows that that's how it works. And also in trying to come up with variations on questions where one or both of the cards involved are slightly different and they work a little bit differently and that changes the answer in, in some meaningful way. All right, I got a, I got a general question. Have y'all in your respective uh, mediums already gotten a question about Miss Trigger and the One Ring protection ability? <laughs> well, uh, spoiler, yes. spoiler alert, that might or might not be coming out later this week. Uh, I haven't, but I don't tend to get a lot of uh, competitive REL questions. Okay. For me, I was the person asking the question because it fed back into a question I had asked um, and discussed with um, the L3 who was my mentor, which is um, Tom Wood in this region. Um, it was about uh, Kaido who phases out. He has a trigger that phases him out. Um, and that also being a trigger that doesn't change anything physically on the board state doesn't change. There's not like something that you can see. Um, so like not needing to be announced and then like I'm, um, I could go. I could talk about Miss Trigger policy all day. Really, like I ended up sending a document in to Watsi, um, to discuss like the fact that this, the way that we treat some triggers, has opened up for these kind of cases with Kaido with the One Ring in terms of these triggers that don't have a visible impact on the board state, um, and so can you can get away with announcing them when they're relevant and not at the time. Yeah. I mean, again, I think that just like situations like that are tricky because, uh, again, because a lot of their design, not not all, but a lot of design is focused also on making things work on digital now. And obviously on digital, you can't miss triggers. So it tends to leave little weird tournament corner cases like this in the dust especially also since a lot of the focus isn't on competitive play anymore. So, All right. Um, okay, so we, we've talked a lot about y'all's respective mediums, um, but let's ask a, a little bit of personal-type questions. Um, he, all three of you are from very, very different uh, geographic regions. Can you just talk a little bit about like how what makes your region unique uh, with respect to others, like, do you have do you have a lot of events? Do you not have a lot of events? Is the community very tight knit? Is it uh, very spread out? So there's oh. two things I think. Oh, you can go ahead. No, 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 you go ahead. I'm still thinking. Right. So, so I'm from Fort Wayne, Indiana, which is in the the Midwest, and there's two things I think that really stand out um, about Fort Wayne. Uh, the first is that we are close to a lot of places. Um, actually, if you want to drive three to four hours to go to a magic tournament we are closest to you know per debatably uh you know there isn't a, a scientific study or anything that uh, i did on this but as far as i can tell we're pretty close to the best place in the world uh and that that is like a weird thing to say about um you know nowheresville in the midwest but if you want to drive three hours you can get to indianapolis detroit columbus cleveland cincinnati uh, some parts of Chicago, and if you want to push it up to four, you can get to Madison and Louisville. 
And that is a lot of different places that have, you know, pretty big scale magic tournaments. And so that, that is one thing that I think has shaped me personally, like my, my judge career is just the, the availability of getting to go to large scale magic events on, on such a regular basis. Uh, the other thing that's kind of interesting about Fort Wayne's uh, magic scene, and this is another thing that's really shaped the, the magic community that, that I'm a part of, is Fort Wayne has five game stores, uh, approximately, give or take. Over the past, like, I've been playing magic for like 20 years. So, like, during that basically entire time, there have been approximately five game stores in Fort Wayne which is a city of about a quarter of a million people. Uh, so shockingly more game stores than what like any normal uh, person mm -hmm. would say we have any right to, to have. Um, now, where that kind of uh, you know, makes things interesting is the FNM scene. Uh, every one of those uh, you know, stores that, that was old would, would have FNMs. And so Fort Wayne has the best FNM scene um, or at least, you know, depending on like what metrics you like to use, uh, that, that I've ever seen. Um, so for a little bit of background, uh, how much does it cost to play FNM at, at your, your place, like where, where you're from? What are we talking about? Draft or, uh, um, some type of, uh, a yeah, not draft, like just, just a, a constructed format where you bring your own decks. No idea. I don't do that. <laughs> five, five to 10 bucks. Yeah, I, I think that's like, probably like a representative. Yeah, um, usually about about five euro here. So, so for large parts of of Fort Wayne's magic history, it was free. Like not not at like one store, but like at all of the stores, it was free. And there were prizes. Like you know, you, you would get like you know X number of booster packs. You know, so for for some point some points it was like pack per win even uh, for free. Um, and, and some sometimes they would be like you know you paid like. 10 packs divided up among like the top four uh but that's that's just like how it always has been in four way and only now uh you know it, it was a few years ago we started getting to a spot where like you you like could pay an entry fee to give yourself like an extra amount of prizes uh but but even if you played for free like the entrance fee was optional and, and you could still pay for free and there would still be some prizes if you got in like the top four uh, so that's that's something that's kind of you know I, I guess very unusual for uh, for my experience, but the F and M scene is is very strong in in Fort Wayne, and there are a lot of different like communities of, of varying levels of, of competitiveness because you know with with as many game stores as we have, um, the the only way that all of them can have F and Ms at the same time is like some of them cater to like modern players, some of them cater to like more casual players, some of them cater to people who like to think that they're tournament grinders. And so that's fantastic. Um, I don't know if anyone remembers the uh, <clears throat> FNM World Championship uh, that they had. Probably, I think, in about, like, oh, it would have been about a decade ago by now. Uh, I think it was 2012, if I'm remembering right. Um, but a quarter, over a quarter of the United States representatives to the FNM World Championships were from Fort Wayne, Indiana. Uh, <laughs> the best FNM city in the world, apparently. Uh, including myself. So it's it's really nice that, that we have that much like exposure and, and ability to, to play FNMs. But the, the downside is that like all of that conditioned Fort Wayne players to think that playing Magic should be like cheap or free, basically. Uh, so it's it's very difficult to get like big tournaments, uh, and, and even you know for, for a long time it's it's been very difficult to get 
people from Fort Wayne interested in going to big tournaments because it's just, um, you know, you, you got to drive like two to three hours. And then on top of that, you have to pay like, you know, X amount of money to, to play in the tournament and probably scrub out. And, and then you don't, you know, you, you don't have anything to do for the rest of the day. So that, that, that is, uh, it, it makes for a really interesting magic environment where there's a lot of people who play, but like very few who are interested in playing competitively and it's very difficult to get stores uh, interested in running Comprel events. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'll answer more briefly. Uh, here in the Helsinki area, um, well, I mean, Finland is a very sort of both geographically and culturally sort of isolated area because we have, you know, big bodies of water between our Euro- us and our European neighbors um and we have a different language from the other nordic countries and even most of the other like baltic countries and so the community here is very not insular but you know it's very sort of tight-knit um finland only has like five and a half million people but you know we have a pretty vibrant uh competitive scene it's not huge we don't have a ton we only have like two major game stores in Helsinki area, but there's others in some of the smaller cities. Um, But, I mean, it's a really good scene. There's a really vibrant uh, legacy and European Highlander scene. Um, So lots of, like, older format love. Lot, lot, a lot of Commander players. Commander is very popular. Um, Yeah, I mean, it's a very nice community, very friendly. uh, Yeah, very supportive um and like finland definitely punches above its weight still on the uh you know high level tournament scene there's usually always at least one finnish player in the conversation at most events so it's neat uh for me i mean the oceanic region is unique just from being we're so small in terms of community but we're so large geographically like a frame of reference like if you took australia new zealand and french polynesia and the whole population across all those countries um, we'd still be 9 million people short of populating California. <laughs> but our land mass is almost as wide as the United States. So if you judge flying from the West Coast to the East Coast for events, it's four hours, more than four hours flying time. And every major we ha- event that we do have here is on the East Coast. So it's going to be in Sydney, Melbourne, or in our capital in Canberra. And uh, we've started ramping up again uh, recovering from the, the the acute phase of the pandemic, um, and we're now getting to a point where, for the major events we have, we have more judges applying than we need to staff that event. Um, like our most recent regional championship was the biggest we've had so far, and that was 178 players for main event. Like, okay. <laughs> uh, we are we are small, um, and. Yeah, it's hard. I I don't I don't know how people who aren't in one of like the three major major cities of Australia cope with events and coming to events because you are before you've even like you've been approved to come like judge at the regional championship and before you've walked out the door you're already at a loss like in terms of the cost of travel and accommodation and everything like it's it's hard. It's hard. This region's hard and it's hard like even for players who are winning uh, like winning these regional championships to go to the pro tour, um, like all of that prize money and then some is used just to get to the pro tour because of how far away we are from everything. Just, just, it, just, it is, uh, yeah. I was going to say, it is kind of funny to listen to 
occasionally you'll listen to judges talk about how remote and how distant they are. You know, I'm a remote judge. And then you talk to them about how far they are from something. And it's like 40 miles from a major city. You know, that kind of thing. And then you talk about Australia where y'all are just spread out. You know, mm-hmm. where it could be, you know, five hours to the to the to the next largest city or to to an F and M uh, store a store that plays or something like that. So it's definitely um, uh, impressive that y'all are able to keep your community going uh, as spread out as geographically as it is. Just a quick, uh, yeah. We're very tight-knit here as a community, and, and that's not just the judge community is tight-knit, also the player community. Like, that at that RC with 178 players, I knew the majority of people in the room because I just know all of the players by name at this point. <laughs> that's wild. Just a quick question, Rihanna. Um, do, you, do you have any problems getting product currently, or are you well set with that? Because I, I seem to remember something about Australia or New Zealand taking more time to get product or having more difficult time getting sufficient product? Um, I actually also work for a game store um, as, as like an empo- as a retail employee. Um, at the moment, no, we're, we're actually pretty good with product. Like um, it was amusing with uh, recently there was like a jumpstart event for Lord of the Rings and it was the U.S. that was having problems. Like the U.S. was having problems getting jumpstart because they just didn't it's not been as popular of a product, so people just didn't really anticipate how popular it was going to be because it's Lord of the Rings. Like, certainly during the pandemic, there were points where it was like, ah, uh, pre-release is going to be delayed a week because we don't have the product yet. But rarely, rarely is it a major, major issue. Well, with with us here, I think part of it was they didn't predict how popular it would be because of the cool prize that they were giving out. Um, they were giving out the, the, the two or three. The, the dice, the dice. Yeah. yeah. I think a lot of people yeah, yeah. were really digging that, and they all signed up. and And stores, of course, didn't predict that. Oh, this was going to be a thing. Interesting. Mm. Yeah, I think it's some regions in Asia that actually get hit the worst. Um, and and Brazil. It it doesn't. <laughs> yeah, it doesn't. It doesn't come across social media as much. It's, it's a bit disappointing. Like there were points where, like, I think there's areas of like Thailand that just didn't get anything. Like they just missed basically a release because of how delayed the product was right so fun fun question you got a favorite story from an event it's a big ask when i've been judging for 15 years now Uh, this isn't like oh how can i choose between all of my children yeah okay well let's let's just say the one that comes to mind just when people ask about the like the weirdest judge call um there was one time, this was like way, way back. This is like original Zendikar. Uh, it was a PTQ. Uh, I forget if it was, I think it was sealed. Anyway, uh, I get called over to a match and the players literally cannot agree on which game in the match they have just finished. Awesome. <laughs> one player thinks that they have just finished game three. Another player thinks that they have only just finished game two. Um... Yeah, one player is keeping track of life total on dice. The other is taking track on paper. Great. Except they're one of those people who's very economical with their paper, uh, doesn't separate out games, doesn't draw hash lines between things, doesn't write a 20 at the beginning of a game, (laughs) only writes, you know, when the life total first actually changes. 
So I have to like literally look through this list, look at their decks, look at their pools, figure out how much life they can possibly gain to figure out where actual like game breaks are in this life total bar. At least they're keeping separate ones for each match. But yeah, I think in the end I figured out that they had just finished game three, but it was just like, oh my god, this is like freaking forensic science at this point. <laughs> so yeah. Record your games, your life totals on paper so that, you know, <laughs> this sort of stuff doesn't happen. All right. So I guess for me, um, one of my favorite memories um, from a Magic tournament is I was at the Gen Con that was the, the 25th anniversary of Magic. And I was, I was on the judge staff there. And it was, it was kind of funny because, you know, they... Uh, they're, they're doing kind of all, all kinds of like crazy uh, fun stuff for you know Magic's 25th birthday. Uh, one of the things they did was they got a cake. And so they, they had like a big sheet cake uh, that they brought in on Saturday at like some, some time um, during the day. And yeah, all the players could get a piece of cake. And that was kind of fun. And it was pretty funny, uh, I thought. And of course, uh, I, I too got to partake in the delicious you know, sheet cake. Uh, so that was great. Now, what wasn't so great was that, like, after, I would say maybe maybe an hour to two hours after this cake had already been completely eaten, uh, these two kids came up. I, I would say, like, we're talking 8 to 12 age range. Uh, and these two kids came up, and they were like, hey, judge, judge. And I'm like, yeah, what's going on? Uh, they, we heard that there was cake. Is, is there still cake? And I was like, oh no, I'm gonna have to tell these two, these two poor kids that there's no cake. I might even tell them the cake is a lot. I think this was, yeah, this was after after Portal was released, so that that could still be a thing that I could have said. Um, but no, um, the that is not the the like awesome customer experience that that I was hoping that these kids was gonna have. So it turns out that like another thing that they did for the the 25th anniversary is they had like cupcakes. And I don't know what the story was with these cupcakes, but they they had several boxes of cupcakes in the judge area. And so I went back in the judge area and I got each of those kids one of those cupcakes and the looks on their faces um when when they got those cupcakes was just like, you know, that that was just a great feeling. So that that's still to this day is, is one of my favorite memories as a as a judge is giving me being able to to like figure out what these kids wanted and, and get them what they wanted, which is what judging is all about. Really is. Uh, for me, I I be I originally became a judge because I wanted to be a better player, and I figured the best way to do that was to understand the rules more in the interactions of the game. Like if you know the interactions more, you have a leg up on your opponent. Um, so I became a, a one. And I applied to work at one of the GPs we had in Sydney um, and I got approved for admins who so just, you know, working on like the prize wall and taking payments and stuff. And they came up to me on like the end of day Friday and were like, we don't have enough judges for tomorrow for the main event. Uh, here is a judge shirt. You were judging on main event tomorrow. And like L1 now judging competitive rules enforcement level, like it was trial by fire in the truest sense of the word like I just got thrown in the deep end and somehow didn't drown and I just I'd never experienced such like a welcoming like just so friendly community the judge community was just amazing and I was like this is better this is better than playing I want to do this now like that was my first experience judging anything more than an FNM um 
and it was like a really amazing experience and then like the journey that's come from that has been amazing like so many friends so many good experiences so charles yeah so if each no 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 No? what's what's yours oh my favorite story yeah goodness so you on the spot yeah okay all right sure um so my alternate personality um my cosplay is is i'm i'm the guy that likes sunsets i'm dr judge um, and probably my best story is from Vegas, uh, Magic Con 30s, big celebration. Um, they were going to um, have me head judge a 400 plus player, un, un, not unstable, uh, Unfinity draft. Um, and they wanted us to draft instead of in pods, in table rows. And that's not the best part. About half hour or so before, uh, somebody came up to me and said, do you have the cards? And I said, what cards? And they said, oh, you don't know about the cards. I said, I don't know about the cards. What are we talking about? Apparently, Mark Rosewater had come up with a um, special set of prizes that would happen if people met certain conditions during the games. And it was dropped on my lap right before we were going to start. Um so I had to come up with a plan for how we were going to track that, how we were going to issue prizes. And and I think um, as my first experience head judging an event of 400 plus players, I did all right with that. And I, I'm very happy with how the event turned out. So that's mine. Cool. cool. Brian, yours. <laughs> uh, okay. So obviously being from uh, Florida, I have lots of stories about nonsense at certain events such as hiding 40 victorian era victoria era style creepy dolls across a gp or surrounding people by chairs in the break you know in the in the in the judge area but i think or or just absolutely god-awful events where it's just it's just problem after problem after problem that's that's just ridiculous but i think the the story that means the most to me um i had an event uh i was head judge ended up uh had a player who was making while not slurs they were making racially slanted insults towards their opponent and at the time usc major was a game loss and while doing the investigation the player lied to me DQ, obviously the person's going home. And we had a talk and, you know, sent the person home. Uh, Submitted the DQ report, got the information that the player was going to be suspended for three months. Uh, At the next event that I'm working at, two months later, I see the player um, in a completely other, you know, several states away. This is Dallas. I see that same player playing in the event. I check with the scorekeeper. No, no, no. They use they use you know this thing right here. I message Shukan, uh, who is the uh, was the head of the player investigation committee at the time, and the he says no. The guy went to anger management classes and submitted paperwork, so we commuted the sentence basically on this documentation. And a little bit later. You know, like, you know, an hour or two, a round or two later, I run into the guy and he recognizes me and he stops me and he tells me that the DQ was 
basically the kick in the butt that he needed. Like it, it basically reset his life and wow. he ended up going to anger management and he was taking some other classes and he was dealing with some issues and going and seeing a therapist and that kind of stuff. And that situation took it out of, you know, like I did a thing in the concept of, in in the, in the realm of a magic event and it became, no, no, no. I did a thing that changed a guy's life for the better. Or or, or in, a, in another way, like, changed everyone around him's life for the better. And so that's, while that's not a fun, goofy, ha-ha story that all the, you know, the Florida D-Gens are, are used to doing, that's kind of one of the things that really sticks with me because that made an impact outside of the... I want to say like it's it's real in a in a way that uh doing a just doing an event isn't. It's awesome. So, so yeah, didn't mean to drop that heavy thing on you but you no, asked. No, 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 no. Hey, yeah. What's good for the goose? But that's that's yeah. great. So, all right. I I, I guess a, a question for the for the group here is this one. Uh if you could change something about judging or or about the game itself today you have a you have the ability you have carte blanche you have full ability to make the change what would you change or would you leave everything the way that it is i would basically move the game to more of the living card game model where you bit you buy a set of cards and that's all the cards you need and you don't have to like buy random booster packs there's no chase cards cards are cards you can play with the cards and the game is about the game rather than about who has more luck or who has the better, you know, wallet. Cool. Rihanna, you want to go or? Yeah, yeah. I mean, mine's mine's pretty selfish because I just want to go back in time and redo Unfinity. Um, <laughs> I want to get rid of the acorn stamp. I want to make the whole set silver boarded and keep the whole concept and physical look the same as it always has always has been because I collect the holiday promos that come out for Christmas each year and I have the full set but chaos wrap doesn't match because it's not silver boarded it's acorn stamped and black boarded and I just yeah <laughs> the temptation to like take acetone to the edges is very high <laughs> just I won't tell anybody if you do I also it. would like to never have my god I just want Mind Goblin out of competitive rules enforcement level events because that card is playable in Seven Point Highlander, which I both play and judge. Like it's you mean you mean blank? Goblin, don't want stickers. Right? Yes. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Stickers are a whole weird thing. Stickers, attractions, like yeah. they're in the MTR Honest... now. They're going to be there forever. Like... Yeah. Honestly, like a lot of the uh, non-Acorn Infinity cards, yes, they work within the rules, but they're really like technically difficult. Like I answered a question on my blog the other day about Magar of the Magic Strings, and like, yeah, that's a card that works, but the like the technical way it works is really like unintuitive for a lot of people and you know great now i have to explain this because it's in you know in like it's, commander it's forever. forever it's yeah. in commander forever yeah, this is something that like i don't think that anybody at, at wizards well you know maybe they know it but they probably don't care but like as as judges we do not have the luxury of of being able to just hold our nose and pretend that 
this whole nonsense doesn't exist. It's not nonsense. Right? Like, it's not nonsense. Oh, yeah, okay. So anyway, <laughs> um, like, normal players, a lot of players I know, uh, just have this idea that, like, okay, I know that attractions are technically legal in, in Legacy, but I'm not going to waste my time thinking about them or trying to figure out how they work or doing anything with them because I know that it's a waste of my time and it's never going to come up. But how many times have all of you been asked questions about how do attractions work with this or that? Um, like, as judges, we do not have the luxury of being able to just pretend these stupid things, uh, you know, silly things don't exist and, and you know, be able to just live our lives. It's, it's, <laughs> it's part of our lives now, whether we like it or not. And uh, I think one of the big things I remember uh, with, with, like, the justification for, uh, like, for example, the, the secret layers outside, you know, from, that, that were not playable or uh, that, that were, you know, unique cards from the secret layers, uh, w- one of the big things that people didn't like about them was that they interrupted the, the magic fantasy. Um, and one of the big arguments that people made was that, you know, it's opt-in. Right? Like, if you don't like these cards, then just don't play them. But if there's a lot of people out there who do like these cards, and they're, you know, they should be able to play them too. So it's it's the same sort of uh, situation with judges and, and these silver border cards that are actually playable in black border magic. Um, except, you know, for judges, we don't get that luxury. And, and that's something that does kind of bother me. Like, the, the hellscape here is... Uh... In the Seven Point Highlander, it's very competitive, and we have events that are run at Comprel. That's the even as as side events at some of our stuff, they prefer it to be run at Comprel, and that's like a community decision. And like the Hellscape is a player playing Ragavan in their deck, the Nimble Pilferer, and therefore they submit an attraction deck and list with their deck list on the odd chance that if they hit their opponent with Ragavan, their opponent has a card that has attractions matter. Yeah. Like in the 0.00001% chance of it ever happening, yeah. people are writing on the deck list, the attractions list, and have it, you have to shovel and present it with your normal deck. Oh, yeah. Like yeah. it's just, yeah. it's so absurd. Well, yeah. Oh, God. <laughs> and, and, and then there's like the, the nonsense of, well, you recorded your attractions, but you didn't record which variant of the attractions you have. Yeah. So. Which, which numbers are made <laughs> up on that attraction? <laughs> I don't think you yeah. need to record that. <laughs> Well, you know, it's it's not mentioned in the MTR or the well, ITG you know, or the CR because, you know, deep down in all of the rules and policy teams' hearts, they also know that those aren't really supposed to be in competitive rel. Well, well, they're not actually in those documents because we haven't had an update in how many days, Charles? Uh, we are approaching 900. <laughs> well, you know, the MTR is uh, updated uh, much more recently. Yeah. Yeah, the IPG yeah. hasn't been updated. IPG February 2020. Yeah, and the, the MTR yep. is, is where that would be, you know, published. And, and that's, that's updated in May 19. So, you know, they, they could have put that in there if they really, really, you know, wanted to. Okay. So, all right. So you had a magic magic wand. Um, let's let's try the, the other activity, though. Um, where do you see your um, individual efforts going in the next few years uh do you are you going to stay on course or are you going to continue to do the tumbler and the and the ask a judge or are you going to expand 
in scope? Um, are you going to go in a different direction? Are you, are you happy? Are you satisfied with where you are? I mean, I'm going to, I've been doing this for so long now that it's just sort of a thing I do. And, um, I took a break for about a year and only like started back up. I forget if it was late last year or early this year. Um, but I mean, I've been enjoying being back and I don't, you know, I'll keep doing it for as long as I'm enjoying it again. And as long as the questions keep coming in and honestly with me judging less it's a nice way to sort of keep myself fresh and keep myself you know thinking about new cards and new mechanics and whatnot and you know i mean because not everything is applicable to the commander decks i play or whatever else so yeah i mean i'm gonna keep going until i see a reason to not keep going yeah same i uh i i really love getting to um you know see players uh and and ask them if they have any questions that they think might be a good idea for a, a future video um i i haven't been involved with my project for as long but i have been involved with like other projects for uh you know some enough time that i'm already used to budgeting uh uh you know some portion of my day to working on it uh just just like what charlotte mentioned uh for me like i i don't think that that I see uh, it, it slowing down or stopping anytime soon, not not unless I uh, like I, I I actually joked with uh, one of my commenters just just yesterday. Um, I, I made like a, a science joke, like a, a computer science joke in in one of my episodes, and this this commenter said uh, that you know they thought I would do really well uh, in a, a you know channel like that and. I, I said, and this is a hundred percent true. If I was a billionaire and I didn't have to like worry about like money or having a job or you know do it, I could just do whatever I want. There's probably half a dozen YouTube channels that I would start on various different topics uh, that aren't magic related at all, uh, but like still in the style of of uh, judging for the win. And uh, it's it's now a running joke that I do uh, on April Fools every year. I do a, a video in the style of one of my daily rulings, but about a, a you know topic that's not magic related, but instead one of my other hobbies and interests. Uh, yeah, I'm gonna keep going as as long as there's people engaging on the Ask the Judge Facebook group, then I'm gonna keep engaging right back. Uh, like we just hit 30k members, like the member count is still going up. Uh, even with the instability of so the future of social media. Um, so as long as like Zuckerberg doesn't burn Facebook to the ground, then <laughs> it'll keep existing. Uh, my personal journey, like I'd really like to make all three, but the realisticness of that, there's a lot of obstacles and a lot of that, it comes down to geography. Like it would require traveling to like the magic cons that exist at the moment, um, which is, like a financial hurdle um but also like i have like anxiety panic disorder kind of stuff that i'd have to fight as well so yeah just keep chugging very very cool and for us um we from from a standpoint of growing it's a little a little tough for us specifically uh because we are focused on judge education while we do do rules episodes and we do policy stuff our our we are kind of self-constraining ourselves to a 
smaller niche. The number of people interested in judging is much smaller than the than the group of people who are interested in the rules. Um, so uh, for us specifically, probably with events starting back up, we're going to have uh, more, you know, hey, you went to this large event. How'd that go? What did that learn? Kind of bring that information back home. Uh, hopefully we'll start getting some policy updates so that we can start going through some policy podcasts, maybe add a third host or something along those lines and branch out and start and doing some different stuff. So, you know, when we're, when you're listening to episode 600, it's not just a repeat of the same topics we covered in the first 300. Right. And we'll continue to freshen up things as it's necessary to do so. Um, there's no reason not to revisit yeah. something that's been changed or has had, um, um has been out of the light for a little while um oh yeah yeah we could do a whole episode on bands with other no. yes yes no no <laughs> maybe that's but our april it's... first episode um but <laughs> dear lord yeah all but... about banding <laughs> yeah <laughs> but yeah so this this episode we've we've been we've been highlighting uh, uh three different areas uh charlotte david rihanna uh thank you for coming on uh this this what we wanted to do is this wasn't all the content that's created by judges. There's there are uh, there are recurring YouTube series that have uh, judges as as guest hosts. There have been past uh, uh, YouTube uh, activities. There was a, a judges corner which existed, you know, four or five years ago. Cranial Assertion is a long running website. I think it was it even predates uh, any of us as judges. Uh, there's rulesguru.net. There have been other uh, judge podcasts in the in the past. There's been a there was a Judge Cast North, a Much Ado About Judges. There was a uh, Juice, Juices in Vivo, which was a Spanish judge podcast for a while. Um, you know there are there's MTG Guide, which is while not run by judges, is kind of judge adjacent. Same thing with Academy Ruins, which is. Uh, organized and maintained by a uh, rules advisor from the EU central region, uh, Vaclav Lunek. I probably butchered that name. Um, also, you know, for, for judge resources, the old apps.magic.judges website with all the blogs and resources is still available thanks to uh, Paul Baronet maintaining that website. Uh, he doesn't. He doesn't keep the content updated, but everything that was there is still there. Um, so this is just like you know, just a big thank you to every judge that ever gave a damn and made something that they didn't have to, and spent time that they didn't have to in order to educate and make people uh, understand something that they didn't previously understand. So you know, hu- huge yeah. thanks, huge thanks to to you guys. To you folks and everyone out there who's listening that that just you know did a little bit more than you had to um so uh before we end this do any of you have anything that you want to like final thoughts plugs you know funny anecdotes dirty limericks that i might have to edit out be good to each other and remember magic is a game and people should be having fun when they're doing it yeah <laughs> that's <laughs> that feels pretty good. Okay. All right. You want to take us out then? Yeah. Charles. We, we can absolutely do that. All right. All right. That's our episode. Join us next time when we talk about something important. Uh, we, <laughs> we just something important. We, we don't have, we don't have the show topic yet, 
uh, but as always, we'll come up with something that we will uh, bring to you. Until then, yep. we'll we'll think of it one day before we record. Maybe maybe a day and a half. Maybe two. Maybe two. Uh, until yeah. then, uh, you can send us an email at judgecast at gmail.com or like us on Facebook or follow us on Twitter at judgecast. Until then, I'm Charles Feather and I keep it fair. I'm Brian Perlman and I keep it fun. Hello and congratulations. This is CJ Schrader, or as your listeners know me now as, who? I just want to congratulate Brian and the whole crew on 300 episodes. Who would have ever believed this little podcast would have made it so long? I'm very proud to keep seeing it going. Here's to 300 more. Hey, JudgeCast family. This is uh, Billy Willie. Just checking in to congratulate the show and specifically Beepril on reaching 300 episodes. I know that JudgeCast was a big part of my development as a judge and really excited to see the show hit this milestone. To everyone in the JudgeCast family, Ricky, Sean, Eric, Jess, CJ, Brian, Samantha, Charles, and many more, thank you for being a wonderful resource for so long and congratulations on 300 episodes. It's been an honor to join you for a handful and I can't wait to listen to 300 more. Hello, Brian. This is Jacob Milicic. I just wanted to say congratulations on 300 episodes of JudgeCast. In my opinion, the importance of the service you've been providing to Magic the Gathering judges simply cannot be overstated. You have been a mainstay of this podcast, bringing a truly engaging combination of educational content and amusing wit, dare I say, edutainment. And on a more personal note, uh, my apologies about the Ikoria release notes episode. I really did seem like we couldn't cut anything for time. In all seriousness, congratulations again, my friend. Hi, this is Nicolette. To Brian and JudgeCast as a whole, congrats on reaching 300 episodes. Your commitment to building up the knowledge of others is so wonderful to watch and hear. So continue keeping it fair, fun, and full of terrible dad jokes. Hello, this is Riki Hayashi. And this is Sean Karanese. You might recall that we were the original hosts of JudgeCast, and we wanted to just pop by and read some emails to you. This is dated January 8th, 2010. Subject line, JudgeCast. Sean, do you know anything about podcasting? No reason. And ignore the subject line. It is meaningless. Riki. January 8th, 2010. Ooh, count me in. I have been told I have a face for radio. I don't have much equipment at the moment, but $100 or so for a decent mic and some already installed recording software like GarageBand, and I think I can have it made. When, where, and some topics are all we need. Do you know where we can get a good, smallish, quiet room to record? Great Escape Games has a private gaming room like that. And I think Sacramento State might have some public rooms like that in their library. And that was it. That's how it started. Yep, that's it. That's just such a simple beginning to something so complex that uh, it was only about, you know, a couple dozen episodes, I think 32 episodes that you and I recorded, Ricky, along with Jose Boveda. Yeah, Jose was such an important part of the group. 
Absolutely. A lot of people don't know this, but actually, I think the JudgeCast domain is still registered to him, and, and I don't think the domain owners will actually, uh, or the domain controllers will actually let Brian have it uh, for some technical reason. But I really appreciate everything that Brian has done for this. Um, but you know, Jose was one of those early folks that really got us interested in turning this into something more than just having uh, some recordings in a back room at a game store, but really having uh, some infrastructure, some way to, to reach out beyond sending this over to, you know, Trick Jarrett and other folks that were hosting podcast sort of uh, collections at the time. Uh, so really, Jose deserves a lot of credit for getting us beyond uh, the, the idea stage, too. And uh, so wherever Jose is right now, I just thank him so much. Yeah, absolutely. And of course, today we are celebrating and thanking Brian Prilliman, B. Prill. Congratulations on 300 episodes. As Sean said, we we did the first 10%. And it is amazing to me that this idea that started from this one random email has lasted this long, uh, 13 years. And that is due to the efforts of Brian. And of course, like all of the other hosts who have joined him over the years and the guests. But really, like Brian has been the rock. Absolutely. I nearly dropped the ball almost, well, almost entirely toward the end there as my other duties in the judge program were sort of taking priority. And it was really Brian who made sure that there was a, a real uh, continuity and some interest in, and really uh, some backing behind it to, to get us sort of started up again and in a way that really spawned a, a whole generation. I, I know every time... I hear somebody at a, at a tournament mention JudgeCast or mention something they heard on JudgeCast. It just, uh, it warms my heart, and I know that a big part of that success, really the primary reason for that success, is Brian's dedication. And uh, it means a lot to have people like him in this community. Yeah, absolutely. I've been away from the Magic community for a couple of years, but when I was still involved, people would always still come to me and thank me for JudgeCast. I'm like, I... Haven't done that in years, friends, and truly, like, Brian has carried a torch that started from this little tiny match that I sent this email. Yeah, I'm glad you did, Ricky. It's it's meant a lot to me to uh, to know that we, we had some small role in something that's meant a lot for a lot of folks who've listened over the years. Um, and again, congratulations to Brian for, for making it. Yeah, uh, so many episodes and and uh, keeping such a thing rolling, it it takes uh, no small amount of dedication and uh, a strong tolerance for uh, well, it takes a lot. 